0: on the Apple Podcast app. Yeah. Tom, good morning. Good morning and a lovely morning it is.
1: It is indeed, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Tom, I was interested to read that the universities all over Ireland, but Galway in particular, are having great difficulties in finding accommodation for their students. And I don't know if you remember the time when I was a young lad, so many houses kept a student in the spare room. And uh, it has been muted as a possibility. It's a great idea. And I know two families that really got to, you know, enjoy the company of the student and they became great friends and that friendship has continued. So I'm just wondering, you know, should surely people should see the advantage if they have a spare room in letting it to a young person. I think it's a great idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. it may disrupt the kind of normal family routines, but
0: I know, but, but it I, I yeah, I'm not yeah. arguing with you at yeah. all. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, in as far as I remember in those days. You no, know, the student has probably got the better food. I don't know, I don't know how, they yeah, were. yeah, not always. I think, no, no, Certainly no really. in my
1: student okay. days, I knew a few starving young people. Yeah,
0: so I did too. I did indeed, yeah. Yeah, 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 but I did know houses where it was a great success, but anyway, oh, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a possibility when accommodation is so expensive, and uh, sometimes students have to stay at home and come in to call, to Galway every day. You know, it's quite troublesome. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. anyway, that's another day's work. Uh, how are we today, Tom? What have you got for us this week?
1: Well, today I am talking about our school days to an extent, and about Shantala in particular. <laughs> the uh, The Chantella that we know today was originally known as the Scheme. It was, I mean, Chantala was all fields. Um, That's all it was. Uh, They were grazed by Reardon's cattle and by Hernan's horses. Uh, But they started this scheme, building the estate that we know as Chantala today. They started that before the last war. Uh, Everything stopped then during the war, but they re They began it again uh, uh, immediately after the war, and it was built street by street uh, until what it is today. But before that, before 1955, any children in the area, they were educated by the Presentation Sisters in what was known as the Old Rahun School. This was on Presentation Road. (laughs) And the junior, the national school part of it, was the small building... It's between St. Joseph's Church and the Canal Bridge, if you can imagine. Uh, It's still there, the building. uh, That was the National School, and then the secondary school was, of course, what was the Presentation Convent School for many, many years. Uh, So the the whole point of having this great big estate then in Chantelle, they badly needed a new school, and... uh, this was uh, built in in the late fifties and it was called Skull Vredge. Uh, and it's, it, there was an interesting comment made by the bishop in, when he was blessing it saying that, uh, a special claim on all who were interested in the preservation of the Irish language, uh, as many families had set, who had settled in Shantala had come from the Gaeltacht, So he expected to hear a lot of Irish spoken. Mm-hmm. Right. In Chantella, I can't say i have ever associated with an awful lot of the Irish language, but maybe back in the 50s, that was a valid statement. Anyway, the Scald opened formally with 200 pupils and with four staff. Uh, it had seven classrooms, two teachers' rooms, cloakrooms, etc. And it catered for uh, girls from age four to 12 and for the boys' uh up until they made their first communion it, it was um, a national school and of course there was great rejoicing in, in the whole Shantala area yeah. because suddenly here was a school with an easy walking distance uh, you know the lunch break was of one hour's duration and since most of them lived locally they all went home for lunch <laughs> the few who had come in from Rahul, Uh, They stayed, they were supervised over lunch by a member of staff in the, uh, so uh, I am using a couple of photographs of uh, pupils of this school. Uh, And I, the reason I just thought of doing that this week is because this is the time of year, of course, when children are going back to school, preparing to go back to school. Yes, yes, yes. And, of course, it brings us all back to our own school days. <laughs> you know, the, the the old adage that the happiest days of our life were, of course, the ones we spent in school. Now that would be true for a lot of people. Most people, I suspect. But when we were in school, we thought that was all rubbish. <laughs> all <laughs> lies, lies. Absolutely. Uh, but yes. as we grew up, of course, we gradually realized that it was true. And, you know, uh things change in our life, but I, I think that our school memories always remain the same all of the time, really. Uh, and they, I think back on days of laughter and uh, great friendships being formed, uh, you know, games in the schoolyard, Mm -hmm. which I dreaded in scholarship, I have to say, Uh, Mm -hmm. but you had no worries of taxes or finances or bills or anything like that. Uh, And I think back to those kind of flip-top desks we had with uh, the inkwell in the Mm -hmm. middle. uh, And because, like, biros were only beginning to come in, I suppose, in our days. Uh, Headline copies, you know, the kind of poems that we (laughs) learned in school, some particular teachers. And I think the other thing is the absolute joy of the last day of term before you went on holidays, whether it was for (laughs) Christmas or Easter or summer. It it was just a magic kind. You felt, you know, a lightness in your step. You just couldn't wait to get out. And of course, the other thing is that you remember are the kind of excuses that people came up with um, (laughs) when trying to tell the teacher, explain. I always remember uh, Tim Collar, and it was who legend says, Once when he was late for school, his excuse was, "The two wheels fell off my bicycle, sir." (laughs) And you know, uh, now maybe that was tongue in cheek, and I hope he got away with it that day. But uh, uh, but we remember these kinds of things, and and they're precious. And I just hope they will be precious for all those who are now beginning. Yeah. To prepare to go back to school or to go to school for the first time, indeed, as well.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, Tom, there's, there's a whole lot. There's the, there are books written on those kind of memories, as you know yourself. Um, yes, I'm thinking of excuses. The best excuse I ever heard when a teacher was asking a boy, why haven't you done your homework? The boy said, my teacher's lost my pencil." And the teacher said, say that again. My teacher's lost my pencil. So there's so much laughter. in the classroom the poor boy red in the face and that was a speech impediment he had the poor lad, but anyway it was very funny and I'm smiling too at the going home for lunch and at that time we all had dinner in the middle of the day that's right the poor mother of the house and generally she did not work outside the house usually she She manned the house and she cooked this enormous meal in the middle of the day. And we'd race home and we'd double it down in 20 minutes and race back to play football in the playground or something like that. But certainly, you know, the idea of dinner at nighttime now would be really, you know, Uh, only the gentry did that. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but we had dinner in the middle of the day and it kind of, you know, it it says who you are if you said, oh, we, we have to go home for dinner now. <laughs> yeah. going home it does.
1: Eat. It does. Yeah, it'll be I, ready
0: at one o'clock. There was a was, smell of cooking dinner all over Galway as you cycled home. It, it hung <laughs> there like a haze. Yeah, yeah, you knew every house was settling down. I, I, I think they closed the shops in town so they people could they go. They did. You were
1: quite right.
0: Uh, remember? I remember my father and mother looking at me very
1: blankly when I told them I wasn't going to go home. Uh, to from work for lunch i was going to keep the shop open
0: <laughs> oh, I, said, what? Oh my I am mad yeah i know like,
1: i think it might be good for business and it was very good for business in fact <laughs> and uh, uh and i i'm not saying i was the first or anything like that but it certainly it wasn't very long afterwards where almost all shops remained yeah. open
0: that's quite true. Yeah, that's yeah. quite true. I certainly remember my father being home for that dinner as well in the middle of the day. But uh, as you say, times changed and then they opened. Ah, yeah. 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 But also Galway Town used to close on, on a half-day Thursday and that yeah. was changed to a full day on Monday. So they closed yeah. a full day on Monday. I remember that well. Yeah, that's right. And that gradually yeah. Yeah. changed as well. Yeah. The one thing looking back on shopping habits... Um, I think we gave our Sundays up too easily to the big supermarkets. Um, I just think it's a pity that, you know, Sunday is just another working day. Um, I know it's very handy for people who are working during the week. Uh, Just I've been to some other countries, parts of rural Spain, where they do close on Sunday. And, you know, it's a very nice day. There's a feeling of family. You can see by the cars parked outside the houses with the various letters from M- Madrid or something like that. Uh, they've come yeah. down for the day. I'm just saying, I think we lost our Sundays. We, we work two, two, two long hours now, really. Shops are open all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Good man, Tom. Well, so, what have you got? Well, <laughs> well uh, I'm finishing the Wiles, this brilliant family and all their problems. And uh, you open up the first page of Wiles Lock and he just opens up with the most exciting uh, display of words and images because he's coming westward. Westward ho, he writes, let us rise with the sun and be off to the land of the west, to the lakes and the streams, the grassy glens and the fern-clad gorges, the bluff hills, the rugged mountains, now cloud-capped, then revealed in azure or bronzed by evening tints as the light of day sinks into the bold swell of the Atlantic. <laughs> and such a brilliant opening uh, to William Wilde's famous yeah, Loch yeah. Harvest Shores and Islands, published in 1867. It's adorned by wonderful woodcuts by a very interesting artist, A.G. Wakeman, uh, and yeah. as he... A- he calls us to join him as if he's in a biplane to swoop and dive over this 200 kil- kilometers of clear, clear water fed by the rushing streams of the Connemara Mountains, giving life to the foreshore and islands where people have lived since the dawn of time, Tom, fishing its shadows and its dark deeps and where monks, as you said last week, sought an earthly haven for prayer and solitude. But of course, it's not a biplane that Wilde leaves Dublin in eighteen sixty four, and all Mm. he leaves Dublin, all his cares, but in the steaming and whistle. Whistling locomotive puffing out a broadstone station with its fearsome clattering and energy, into which he piled his wife and his three children, their servants and their maids, and as much baggage as they would need for their long summer holidays. They steamed across Ireland, noting every stop and ancient stone along the way, until eventually, with Dickensian excitement, they arrive in Galway and they emerge. And I'm quoting this among the beggars into Air Square, surrounded by hotels, clubhouses, banks private residences, and coach offices, and they jump into a Biacone coach town, and at average a satisfactory eight miles per hour. The family familiarize themselves with the sights and sounds of the city of the tribes, which Wild loves so much. And I have a quote here, the handsome groups of blue-eyed Black-haired, barefooted colleens with their graceful carriage and petticoats and the blue and scarlet cloaks. And he talks about the fishermen stand holding out baskets with shrimps jumping, where cockles are smacking their lips with the heat, and the John Doris are alive, and the lobsters are playing pitch and foot with the crabs. <laughs> and oh. before, before, before the wild family arrive breathlessly at Wood Quay and take the Eglinton steamer. To their holiday home Machura lodge just outside the village of Kong, where their holidays began yeah. now the lake unfolds before them and wild you know it w- he would have been a brilliant man to have been on that boat with him because you know he knew the whole topography he knew the whole legends he knew the buildings and the ruins that you know, survived on the islands and he would have talked about them. And he leaves his stresses and strains and his incredible workload behind him and the ordeal of the Travers' libel trial. And despite all of that, he did succeed in building Mortura House. And the quote here, uh, it's a solid, well-planned, porched villa with an eaved roof without any pretensions to architectural distinction, but it's a comfortable with a sufficient accommodation for his family and holiday visitors, which enjoyed unequaled views of Loch Corrub, its islands and its mountains. Now, he did have a previous fishing lodge at Roe on Loch Fee, but Mortura would become his retreat from a wearying world. And where he completed his book, and where he, uh, he believed, Tom, that, he built the house on the site of the battle of moitura and this was a battle a legendary battle between the day who arrived in ireland and demand from the fear bullocks who lived in ireland half of the island for themselves and of course they weren't given that and there was this massive battle that went on for weeks and weeks and curiously Kong is surrounded by cairns and passageways and ancient graves, all of which Wilde believed belonged to the Battle of Moitura. These were the graves built for the warriors after the battle where the dead were put. And, you know, it added to the magic of the whole place for him. Now, I, I think it's doubtful that he believed in the ancient legend that it was true. But he was fascinated by its possibility, Tom. And, you know, he really thought it was wonderful, but he got so wrapped up in Martura and Kong and the people that called to see him that he neglected, neglected his medical practice. And he neglected his duties at St. Mark's Hospital, which he had founded. Instead, he enjoyed the friendship of local scholars and the company of Benjamin Guinness in nearby Ashford. And his widely acclaimed La Corb, with its superb woodcuts by Wakeman, as I said, was published in eighteen sixty-seven, three years after the Travers trial in Dublin, and it was an immediate best seller. Now, the same year, of course, unfortunately, bad luck does not uh, finds its way again, even to Moitura. Their beloved daughter Isola died of fever in her ninth year, and it absolutely devastated the family. Over the following years, Wilde himself, his health deteriorated and he would spend long periods in bed. He died April 19, 1876. And to his family's initial disbelief and his wife's inability to accept on, he died a bankrupt. Despite his great medical practice, despite yep. his extraordinary reputation throughout Europe and in Britain, he died penniless. In fact, he died with a pile of Uh, deaths. Now, I looked at Terence Javier White's biography of Sir William and Lady Speranza Wilde. He describes an extraordinary scene of Lady Wilde, a friend called to see them, see her after the death of Sir William at uh, their Dublin home, number one Merrion Square, and she found the property in the possession of bailiffs. And this is a quote from the lady. There were two strange men sitting in the hall and I heard from the weeping servant that they were men in possession. I felt so sorry for poor Lady Wilde and hurried upstairs to the drawing room where I knew I would find her. Speranza was there indeed, but seemed not in the least troubled by the state of affairs in the house. I found her lying on a sofa, reading Prometheus Victus by Aeschylus, from which she began (laughs) to declaim passages to me with exalted enthusiasm. She would not let me slip in a word of condolence, but seemed very anxious that I should share her entire admiration for the beauties of the Greek tragedian from which she was reciting. Well, well, that's a very good picture of Pauline. certainly is. But listen, um, she followed her two sons to London. And for a time, she brilliantly earned her keep. She completed unfinished works by her late husband. Uh, she contributed stories to magazines. She wrote several books and articles on Irish folklore and legends. Yeah. And took an interest in the Irish immigrants to America. Amazingly, impressively for seeing the vital role the Irish would play in American life. She endeavored to keep up appearances by rekindling her literary salon at her home in Chelsea. But invitations to her salon in Dublin, Tom, which had attracted such luminaries as the writer William Carlton, the mm-hmm. poet Audrey De Vere, the brilliant barrister and poet Samuel Ferguson, the classical scholar Professor J.P. Mahaffy, the politician T.D. Sullivan and others were much sought after. But in London, alas, that didn't happen. The attendees that came more out of curiosity than for enlightenment. Gradually, sadly, her financial resources began to dwindle and poverty actually set in. And she lived with her eldest son, Willie, who was a drunkard, a poor man. He was briefly married. He was a drunkard. He had no money. And they really faced extreme poverty at the end of her life. Now, Oscar, of course, on the other hand, uh, enjoyed a brilliant lifestyle. He was a playwright of hilarious satirical tales. He wrote charming children's stories and sometimes sentimental prose. His books and plays are still read and enjoyed today, as you well know.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he married the beautiful Constance Mary Lloyd, also an Irish writer of children's stories, and she absolutely adored her husband. Their two sons, Cyril and Vivian, Mrs. Wilde, if you like, she changed her name to... Um, to to Holland when they they went to live in Switzerland to avoid the paparazzi who were pursuing her for lurid tales from her husband after his fall from grace. But I, I just go ahead of myself there, go back to the height of Oscar's fame. He was foolishly advised to pursue for libel the Marcus of Queensbury, who accused him of having a homosexual relationship with his son, Lord Alfred Douglas. Of course, we know the libel case collapsed and instead Wilde was prosecuted for homosexuality. He was found guilty and sentenced to two years imprisonment with hard labour, time. Now, Owen Dudley Edwards, who writes in the Dictionary of Irish Biography, says that Wilde's neglect of his wife and children during his years of infatuation with Douglas was much the most serious moral offence he had committed. Now, February, Brinner says to February 1896, poor Constance comes to the prison to break the news that his mother had died. And it was their last time seeing each other. She died herself two years later of some awful spinal disease. And Oscar, as we know, died prostitute in Paris, November 30th, 1900, just on the turn of the century. His faithful friend, Robbie Ross, whose initials, by the way, Around the famous autograph tree in Cool Park, which I was surprised to see, but there they are. And R- Robbie Ross made every effort to collect the royalties owed on Wilde's writings. But publishers and theaters, Tom, were slow to pay. Some just yes. didn't bother. At the time of his arrest, two of his plays, The Importance of Being Earnest and An Ideal Husband, were playing to packed audiences in Dublin. In London, sorry, in London. But towards the end, Oscar, poor Oscar, would try and catch money from British visitors in Paris, a necessary task he found totally humiliating, as we can imagine. Oh, yeah. Oscar is survived today by his only grandchild, Merlin Holland. And there I'm bringing it to an end, really. Oh, yeah, there was one little thing I found um, l- reading through Locke again, to my great pleasure. Anyway, on page 259 of the Wild edition, there is one mention of Oscar Wilde there. Uh, one August day, 1866, accompanied by the artist William Wakeman. The quote is, the author and his son, Oscar, who was 12 years old at the time, Tom, Share yeah. a puzzle over what to call a church-like building. They they didn't know what to call it, they didn't know what it was. But there's just a quick glimpse of very happier times, the father and son puzzling over a, a, a ruined building and wondering what yeah. they yeah. should call it. So that's the only mention in the book, obviously. But look, I'm I'm ending it there. I do go on and talk about some of my references, but we needn't go into that. It's an extraordinary story of a, a brilliant family, absolutely brilliant. Yes. And how bankruptcy and scandal reduce them to penury. It's it really is extraordinary. Yeah. A um, uh, very sad yeah. story. But we do It is have, sad, yeah. It is a sad story. But we do yeah. have things like the uh Loch Wiles Lock, Corb, and his other writings as well. But I think Wiles Lock Corb, is an enduring book, enormously interesting. Just to take yeah. it down and uh, enjoy it and, and read it with pleasure. Now, yeah, it's t- it's timeless, really. It is timeless. Now yeah, you won't yeah. get it. You won't get it. I'm afraid you're very unlikely to get it. Colm O'Loughlin, the great Irish scholar, uh, reproduced the book with the same woodcuts and corrected the Irish, um, which quite rightly uh, William Wilde was not a, an Irish scholar, but. Um, Colm corrected it, and that was fine. The only other edition, and it's still available, and it's for sale and sure in Kenny's shop, is Kevin Duffy of Headford. Good That's man, right. Mr. Duffy. He republished yeah. a version of Wileslock Corb. It's available in Kenny's bookshop, and I'm sure in the others. It is yeah. a wonderful read. Yeah, a absolutely. Book. Every house should have one for the Galway yeah, Library. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 Okay. Here, here. So. All right, Ronnie. We'll leave it at that. Back to Until school. next week. The yeah. corner, Jake. Yep. Dinner in the middle of the day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> Bye, Tom. Yeah. God
1: bless.